Hello and welcome to Season 4 of the Wealthier Together podcast. As we all know, 2020 has been one of those years. A lot of people are facing anxiety, a lot of people are going through a lot due to the current events that are occurring around us. During this time, a lot of people are facing a lot of uncertainty. So I decided to do more inspirational type interviews with women who are finding ways to choose faith over fear during this very, very uncertain season. October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and the first interview is with Ali Schwab Akanwe. Talks about how she survived domestic violence and sexual assault. She also talks about some ways that she was intentional about her healing process. She talks about red flags that you should look at. And she also talks about the stigma of domestic violence in the church. So check out her podcast interview and learn how she chose faith over fear and continued on with the healing process after domestic violence and sexual assault. Allison Schwab Akonwe is an author, speaker, missionary, and coach. Allison and her husband are directors of Effective Life Missions International, which is based in Cameroon. She is a survivor of domestic violence and sexual assault, which fuels her passion to inspire and support other trauma survivors. Allison is working on her big dream that includes starting her own nonprofit organization in Tanzania for domestic and sexual assault survivors to offer a faith-based recovery program for Tanzanian women. When Allison is not busy with her projects, she can be found eating sushi, laughing with friends, over-educating herself on health and fitness and traveling. So welcome, Allie. How are you doing? I'm doing really good. Thank you for having me. So can you tell us a little bit about your story? Yes, I I will tell you my Cold Smokes version because I know if you let me talk for forever, my story can, it's a little bit complicated and long in parts, but I will tell you the, the meat and potatoes of it. So um, I'm 33 now, but when I was 19, I met my ex-husband. So I guess just for um, ease of talking, we'll just call him my ex-husband. And I thought at the time, yeah, so I was 19. I thought at the time that I had met my Prince Charming. He was charismatic. He was a Christian. He enjoyed traveling. He actually was a missionary's um, kid and he grew up in Africa for large chunks of his life. So we really connected on there. We liked the same music. I just thought, hey, I met a fellow believer. It sounds like we have the same vision and goals. This is awesome. So I was 19. So looking back, I can see that I was really naive. I don't feel like I was prepared to pick a life partner at that time. I really felt unequipped for making one of the biggest decisions of my life. But so what happened, we dated for about two and a half years and we got married in 2009. So throughout our marriage, so we were married for five and a half years before we divorced, but throughout my marriage, you know, we, we had a rough first year. I know people say, oh, the first year is really rough. Well, our first year I felt was like a living hell. Yeah, it was hard to get used to living with somebody, working with somebody. But when you throw in domestic violence and abuse in there, it makes everything so much harder. So I didn't see all the signs in dating. I didn't even know all the red flags or signs. It really started off with the name calling and the emotional stuff. And then as the five and a half years lapsed, things escalated, things got worse. I just remember feeling 
negative emotions, so like angry, depressed, confused, for probably like 85% of the time. So that's a lot of time and energy to devote to feeling bad. And he just enforced a lot of it, just, just really blamed me for everything. And I came to believe that I was a horrible person, that I was a bad wife, that I had to work on myself because I was so horrible at this marriage thing. And of course, like, it, that didn't work. I went for counseling. I did all these things and it just did not work. So like nothing improved. I, I, I tell people, you know, when you have a godly husband, he should be the one cherishing you. He should be the one protecting you and covering you with um, like prayer and guidance and then those kind of things. I should not be the one protecting myself from him. But that was my life, protecting myself from him, but trying to protect our our image, but and protect him. Like I became the one to protect him. When people said, "Why does he do that?" or "Do you realize he talks to you so and so?" I'm like, "Oh, you know, he's just stressed, or he has ADHD, so you know, sometimes he's a little bit unfiltered." But in reality, I the problem was I didn't know what abuse was. I didn't even know I was being abused for the longest time. So I remember feeling super, super frustrated, super, super isolated, and just praying and asking God. God, like I, this makes no sense. I'm, I was a social work student in social work, getting my bachelor's and I, and I, it feels silly for me to say this now, but I didn't even know what I was living in. But I remember just asking God, I'm like, can you please send somebody to, who understands this struggle, who understands, I don't even know what's going on for someone to bring clarity to what I'm going through, because it seems like nobody gets it. And we had gone to pastoral counseling and um, to see a psychologist and really nobody caught on to what was going on except for the psychologist that I saw twice. She saw me and my husband once together and then me um, separately. And I remember the first session, okay, she saw both of us together. That was the only one she saw him. And then the second time I went by myself and she said to me basically, like, Ali, you need to decide how long you're going to live this way because he's a narcissist. This is like, he doesn't take accountability for his actions. He doesn't see anything wrong with it. You're basically, unless he decides to prayerfully and intentionally do something, like you're going to live like this rest of your life. And at that time, I was like, what? Christian lady, counselor woman? Like you're, I felt like she was telling me to leave him. And at the time, like, I, I don't, I know God, he doesn't like divorce, but I also don't believe that he wanted me to live in that much pain and anger pain, danger, and agony for mm -hmm. the rest of my life. I was like, there's no way. Like, I, we don't serve a God like that. So, but I, I kind of filed that in the back of my head. And I was like, okay, I don't know what to do with that information. It's really overwhelming. So I think that was roughly two, two and a half years into our marriage. So really three years went by until I decided to do something. So my catalyst for change was 2014 December I went on a missions trip to Nicaragua and I met I met one of my best friends today she was an answer to that prayer that I had been praying asking God for help so we were on this missions trip we met I, I can remember her mentioning that she was divorced she had escaped an abusive marriage and she was saying, kind of talking about why that was abuse. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. And then one day we had been coming home from ministering in like this mountainous village in Nicaragua. And we got talking and, and she basically opened up my eyes. She's like, Ali, that's an abusive marriage. Like you, that's what you're living in. I just started crying. It like took, 
it, it was like leaving is a process. I'm um, doing something is a process. So it, it took those couple years of that, that psychologist planting that seed in my heart and then happenings over the, in the last three years and then, and then getting close to this friend on that missions trip and me just the floodgates open and I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. And I was away from him for two weeks. So that really cleared some of the fog away. I remember thinking, why are some of the men in this country that I don't know and some of the men on my missions team treated me better than my husband has treated me in like five and a half years. So that really kind of shook my world. And I remember going back, I think it was January 4th, um, 2015. And I was like, you know what? I saw a, a new counselor for one or two sessions. And she again said, this is straight up abuse. If you did that to your mom, what he does to you, would that be okay? And I was like, no, never. So why is it okay for him to do that to you? So that just did it for me. And I decided on January 19th, 2015, I was out of there. I never went back. Doesn't mean I didn't think about it, but I left, had the support of some friends, had the support of my family. Yes, I lost some people. Um, I lost some Christian friends who judged me for divorcing him, but I knew in my heart that this was the best decision for me. Like I talked to pa pastors. I, I really needed peace in my mind and my spirit to be like, I was raised not to divorce. I was raised to like commit and, and all those things. And I, but I knew in my heart that I had done all the things to make this work, but when it's one-sided, it wasn't going to work. So that was a major move. There's a lot of trauma that came from that. But where the sexual assault piece comes in was, um, so I divorced him 2015, left in January, August 2016 came around. I had gotten into a new relationship probably six months after getting divorced. And um, so basically what had happened in August 2016 was my boyfriend at the time, he was out of the country and um, his friend ended up um we 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 hung out we knew each other i thought he was a friend he had, and after concert i drove him home and he actually ended up raping me and confining me and he was charged for multiple crimes that night he did go to jail for technically two years but didn't serve the full two years and there was restraining orders with that so I, looking back at the trauma history, the healing that I've done has not only come from five and a half years of domestic violence, but then after getting divorced and trying to walk in healing, we have a sexual assault that happens. So I, it's, it's compounded trauma, but I have had to rely on God to walk me through almost six, six years now since my divorce and a couple, maybe four years since the sexual assault to really lean on him and be like, God, this really sucks. All these things happened before I was 30 what the heck? So I, <laughs> I really, um, really have had to rely on him, do a lot of different things to get to where I am today. And luckily I've come to a place where I can help other women who've walked through similar things, but I'm still walking in, in healing and still trying to, you know, touch certain areas of my life that still are pain points for me. So in a nutshell, that's kind of the story and the, and what's been happening the last, the last few years. Wow. That is definitely that's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. And I think it's really, it just really shows that you had to really 
you had to think it through and then you had you prayed and then you had some answered prayer for you to really sit down and be like well I can't stay here yeah I think that in my opinion I just feel that the church is not really equipped Mm -hmm. younger people or even older people who are looking to get married for marriage or what to look for usually there'll be like a a weekly not a weekly but one you know sermon series a week for singles but really showing people what they should look for because I believe that marriage is mirrored off of uh, Christ in the church right The, the church is the bride and he never abuses the bride regardless of what we do he never, nowhere in the Bible does he abuse the bride. And I think that really educating younger women about what to look for is the best way to, to cut down on the numbers of marriages that end up in divorce or, and also have domestic violence that causes the divorce. Right. There was a podcast I was listening to last week, and one of the speakers, she runs everything through a biblical worldview, love her. She was saying that they did a survey, and I think 75% of the women said it was okay for their boyfriend or husband or significant other to hit them because they, that, that he felt disrespected. And I was appalled. And I was like, I am talking to Allie. We're gonna get, we're gonna get, we're gonna cut this out. We're gonna do our best to educate and inform people so they don't. It, that's it's never that is never appropriate and never right. So, what is domestic violence? How can someone spot out some things in the dating process before they get married? Well, in domestic violence is basically like a pattern of behaviors that one partner uses to maintain power control over the other partner in an intimate relationship. So sometimes you might also call it, hear it called intimate partner violence. It's, it's the same thing. So that, that involves like physical abuse, mental abuse, emotional, financial, spiritual. Those are some of the big ones um, that, that often you'll, you'll get like a combo of all of them. It's very rarely you'll, you'll just see physical or you'll just see emotional. And um, it usually starts off the pattern that I have seen, because I've also worked as a social worker many years with women is it usually starts off emotional. You mm-hmm. don't usually see like if you're dating, let's say you're starting to date a guy, you, if he gets mad or upset, it's very rarely you would just see him smack you across the face. It, there's usually a buildup and an escalation. So uh, looking back, and my own story is started off with like name calling. So, you know, I think sometimes the problem with the name calling is I grew up where name calling was almost like a joke where the guys mm-hmm. would, would, would jokingly call you names. And so I thought, oh, you know, it's just a joke. It's, it's just kind of a thing that we do. Like, like, you know, and I grew up like a tomboy too. So haha, that's funny. So in the beginning, I kind of joked it off until it became more hurtful, more frequent. And it was just the beginnings of what was worse to come in the future. So it's complete disrespect. It's not okay. I don't care if it's a joke. And shouldn't, that shouldn't even be the brunt of anyone's joke. Like that just shouldn't be okay. So I would say if you are a young woman looking, you're entering the dating scene, you're dating a guy, really looking for the emotional abuse is often the beginning. So the the name calling or um, the disrespect for for your boundaries 
if somebody themselves has poor boundaries, it often can indicate that he will have poor boundaries with you. Mm-hmm. If, and if, if, if I'm looking at someone's level of self-control, so that, I mean, in the beginning, like with my ex-husband, um, you know, he's very charismatic. They're, they're, they can put on a face in the beginning because they want you to stick around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this, this scare you away after three days, you know, there's, there's that, um, that charm that has to be there or there has to be a reason or a big thing is like the love bombing. So a lot of people don't oh, yeah. understand, understand what love bombing is. Well, that is an immediate, almost showering you with more affection and love than maybe the relationship is ready for. So if you've only been seeing a guy for two weeks and he's basically, I don't know, (laughs) buying you a car or giving you these lavish things, giving you all this money, it's like, whoa, dude, like I've known you for two weeks. Like we're not married. Like, why are you acting like my husband all of a sudden? Like just, 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 and it's difficult for young women because we want to feel special, right? You want Mm -hmm. to feel like a queen. You want to feel special. However, if if you have those, those boundaries and those um, relationships should be grow as a, at a healthy progression, not this immediate, let me give you this, this, and this. Let me tell you all these things. Let me shower you with all this affection and love at the beginning. And then it's like, well, that's poor boundaries in itself. Like, why is this happening? Well, there's a strategy behind it. He wants to suck you in and wants you to stick around until you get to see those, those things like, like the emotional abuse, like the, okay, one day he loses his cool and then he smacks you. Like that happens later on. So the love bombing piece, the name calling, usually you'll see controlling behaviors. Like, you know, if you're on your phone, well, who are you talking to? Why are you talking to them? Those kind of things where it's usually it's the phone. Like, I don't know how many court cases I see where domestic violence starts with the phone, the cell phone. And, um, really monitoring like who you're talking to why why are you talking to them why are you going to go see so and so because the goal is to isolate you because when you don't have people like say your family talking into your life speaking into your life then you just have him he's basically the only one you have speaking into your life and when that's toxic stuff you start to believe it your mind starts to to um, really trauma bond and attached to that person in an unhealthy way so i think those are some of the the big things and if somebody blames you for everything a relationship is not supposed to be one person just stands there blaming you for everything and then you got to fix it there should be equal i take responsibility for this i apologize for this i hear you out You're, this is your concern what can we do to work together to make you feel more comfortable or to make this relationship better those are healthy things. Not, this is all your fault. Do something. You're the bad person. You know? I definitely, I definitely agree. And like you were saying, it's always gradual. Again, you said their goal is to lure you in, keep you in, isolate you, and then trap you. So that go that occurs over a period of time. Yeah. And like you were saying, the whole thing with the cell phone, really controlling who people are, who, who, who you're in contact with. If you love someone, you don't, control them you allow them to be their own person yes but you have boundaries yes I mean and I think especially that I think uh, especially with younger women that's that's a big thing Uh, controlling the social media who they're texting who they're talking with telling them what to wear I've Mm -hmm. heard the most bizarre things and I'm like that's that sounds like a huge red flag but I think that when 
when when you have something in mind or you're like, oh, I've met the most wonderful person, even though like you talk to them for an hour, <laughs> you kind of, <Yeah. laughs> you block out common sense, which is why friends, yeah. healthy friendships, because some friends push you towards that. Healthy friendships, family, people that care about you and don't have as much invested, I guess, are are there to help you wake up and see these things before you, you know, get trapped yeah to, to yeah because they're not emotionally involved right yeah. and and their motive is to hopefully love love you so to say those tough love things that might jar you might make you mad at first like I tell people you know I, I'm in a place where if I see something let's say one of my girlfriends and I'm like listen what he's doing is not okay I risk the the um, chance that she's gonna get mad at me and not talk to me for six months but you know what? I don't care because if that somehow plants a seed and, and I see something dangerous, I love you enough for you to be mad at me to say something rather than to sit here in silence and you end up hurt, broken, or, or abused for years because I decided to stay silent, stay silent. Like I had numerous friends who most actually people say nothing. And then years later, they're like, well, I saw this, but I, and I was like, why didn't you say something? Maybe I wouldn't have believed you at first, but and, it's true. But at the same time, like, I just, I don't know how to look at you now, knowing that you knew these things and you just were, were silent. And I know it's hard for people to say something, but when you've been through the ringer, I'm just like, I've grown to the place where I'd rather say something and risk you being angry at me than just uh, enabling what's happening. You know? I agree. A lot of people think, a lot of people actually think that it's loving to say nothing when it is not. Right. Loving, yeah. being loving is doing the hard things. And if you see something, you, you let them know, look, this is off. I've lost several friends because I was like, no, that one doesn't seem right. I felt something off about that interaction. Mm -hmm. And they're like, you're just jealous. No. That's not <laughs> and so yeah. you really have to get to a stage where you're like, okay, your feelings may be hurt and I may lose a friend, but yeah. like, I don't want you to be abused. I don't want these horrible things to happen to you. And then, you know, if you let them know and they still continue, then you've done your due diligence. You can't force anyone to do anything. But right. pointing, at, pointing things that you see out, that is your way of being loving and supportive towards them, not just staying quiet. And then when they escape after years and who knows how much trauma, you're like, oh, by the way, yeah, we knew he was, there's just something off. It's not helpful. This is not helpful. And you don't look at them the same way. Like, you're not going to be like, oh, you're someone I can trust because they have just showed you that they were more concerned about their feelings of you being angry at them than your welfare, which is really difficult to, to, to look at. So I'm not that's saying true. it's easy at all. Yeah, that's true. So why do you think that domestic violence is overlooked in the church? You mentioned that you had to protect his image. And that's one thing that stuck with me. Why do you think that it's so overlooked in the church? Um, I think, I think, well, first of all, I think the whole topic itself is still taboo. It may be 2020, but I still feel like people think for some reason that we don't have domestic violence amongst Christian marriages, amongst even like family violence, like people aren't hurting each other for some reason. It's almost like we just turn an eye and we're like, you know, because we're Christians, we shouldn't do that. You, there's like... I uh, I can't remember the exact, exact statistics, but I think it's still like one in three or one in four women have, 
our, our survivors of domestic violence. It doesn't say one in one in four um, secular women or what, like it doesn't distinguish, like domestic violence does not distinguish between if you're a Christian or not. There yeah. have been numerous pastors that I know of who have been the abuser themselves. So I think that we just have this thought that it's not happening. I also think there's a lack of understanding what abuse even is or what domestic violence is and having an awareness of it amongst the church and church leadership. And um, I think there's a bunch of fear around it too. When something's taboo, it's, we don't understand, we're, we're afraid of it. We don't even know how to deal with it. So I think our church members are afraid that, and then the, the church members who are dealing with domestic violence are afraid to speak up because like, there is an image, there's still an image and a stigma of um, being, being a Christian and being in a church where, yeah, I, I, I felt like I had to make excuses for him. Like, oh, he's really stressed with work. Or like I said, his mental health concerns, like he doesn't always know what he's doing because I felt like it was embarrassing. And there's shame with this um, issue for a survivor. It's shameful. Like, I, don't, I didn't even know what to do. So I didn't mm -hmm. want to draw attention to it because he's already looking ridiculous all on his own. Oh, he was a very loud, charismatic person. So when he was publicly, so he was abusive both in public and private. So when somebody has the the audacity to be abusive in public, you know, you can only imagine what goes on in private That's because if people can see and hear you. It's yeah. like, wow, what are they doing when nobody's there but her? So I think that, and I think. Um, Unfortunately, a lot of our, our pastors don't know how to support survivors properly because you will, you know, domestic violence is not a marriage problem. You don't go for pastoral counseling. Um, like when you go for pastoral counseling as a couple, you, you are trying to address marriage issues most of the time, right? But domestic mm -hmm. violence is not a marriage problem. If you, marriage problems concern like well, we need, we don't, we're not on the same page with our parenting. He doesn't, maybe we're not on the same page with X, Y, Z. He doesn't understand me. But when you have one person who's using coercion, control, and power to, to um, overpower and control somebody else, that is a major issue with that person who there's like, sometimes there's addictions involved, mental health, there's core spiritual mind, body, spirit uh, issues that are occurring. And that person is not interested in change most of the time. So that is a major concern. And that's where we sometimes get, um, and I'm not here to bash church or pastors, but I'm just saying we just don't have an understanding of it. Or we, we're not really taught. Like, I went to Bible school just for a short time, but I never remember hearing that. And, and um, we just don't know how to support because when I went to our pastor at the time, the key word was you need to, to better serve him. Okay. And so that is dangerous. And I don't think we um, as Christians understand how dangerous those words or that message can be, because if I'm as a survivor of domestic violence, experiencing that in my marriage, in my Christian marriage, I already believe I'm a horrible wife, okay? So yes, I need to do better to please him. I already have people-pleasing issues. That was my thing. I had people-pleasing issues. I had self-esteem issues. So I say, of course that makes sense because if I please him and make him happy, he will stop hurting me. So when I try to do that, really, I'm just feeding my own people-pleasing, my own low self-esteem, and then feeding his ego, feeding his narcissism, you know, just until I do something wrong and then I get punished. So I... I I think it's just a lack of awareness and understanding and speaking out. And the intent is not obviously to cause ill harm to anybody 
in the church congregation, but, but it's just, you know, some of those verses about, well, you know, women uh, respecting and submitting that are sometimes not with the best intention, but it's not helpful when it comes to domestic violence, because it's not addressing some of those core root things that are actually occurring and going on. I just feel like a lot of their scriptures are taken out of context. Again, yeah. Christ never beats his bride. Anyway, right. he never emotionally abused. There are there's a certain context, and it's so easy to just spout things out to people. And yeah. I don't feel that this is in any way attacking or yeah. criticizing the church. Christ would call it out. Right. These are these are things that are going on and are not good. And he would call it out. So I think that if we hide every little controversial issue, that that's why we're kind of in the state that we are in right now. Because instead of facing things, again, that thing about love, facing things, doing the hard things that you have to do, when we avoid it, that's not good either. We're supposed to be strong and courageous. If If you see that someone is being harmed Staying, what is staying silent? You're complicit in it. And so this is not like I didn't I didn't plan. This is not an attack on anyone, but mm-hmm. it is an issue that I see occurring over and over and it needs to be talked about. This should not be taboo. We're all fallen people. Exactly. This should be discussed. Well, and Jesus, like we look at how he, he did his life in ministry. I don't remember him being much silent for anything. No. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. So that's, that's the another part of it. Yeah. Uh, And I think that people that are too overly sensitive about it and feel like they're being attacked, that's a whole nother issue. Right. But I feel that this is something that should be talked about because it does happen in the church. And a lot of people are suffering in silence because no one knows how to deal with it because no one will address it. Problems don't go away when you don't address them. Oh, no, they just get worse. There's a lot of suffering in silence. And that's, uh, and that's something that has really made my heart for like Christian women who are survivors and like been silent. It's almost like I feel like Christian women who are survivors have another added barrier to, to getting free and to being healthy because it's a lot of uh, like religious stuff that goes on that makes them feel even more shame and guilt than maybe women who don't have, you know, those things from religious leaders going on or just lack of understanding or support. I, I, I just, because for me, I stayed as long as I did because I honestly thought I was a horrible person if I left. Even though it was the best thing for me, that kept me. I'm like, I did not learn this. I was not okay. I'm going to lose this. God's going to think I'm a horrible person. When in reality, that there wasn't truth in that. There was no truth in that. Yeah, I mean, and you can't force someone else to realize that they have toxic behaviors. Yeah. You really can't. There's this little meme that I've seen floating around, and it says, I'm in therapy because the people around me who need therapy won't go to therapy. avoiding the toxicity because I've seen some people who have had who've gone through domestic violence and then they each had counseling and then the husband came around so I don't buy yeah I don't buy what most people are putting out the thing is that each person has to accept responsibility yes for however they got to where they are but if you know, like you were talking about the blaming and stuff like that. If you continue with that, that's not going to work. This shows that you are not willing to do the work. And one person cannot, one person is not strong enough to carry a marriage. It, it's just not yeah, going to work. That's true. Well, it's true because I, like, I will never preach, like, if you're in domestic violence, you need to always divorce him and blah, blah, blah. Like, I will, that is not, sometimes people have to leave because for their own safety, 
And if you stay any longer, he'll probably kill you. Sometimes there needs to be a, a period of separation. I think mm-hmm. that needs to happen. But, you know, yeah, if there's, if there's um, a surrendering of both hearts and someone sincerely sees the problem with their actions and, like, and wants to God to heal and change them and completely be like, okay, I will get the support. I will do the things I need to do because I see what I'm doing to my spouse. Those things happen because we serve a God who is the great physician who heals our mind, body, and spirit. So I, it happens. Does it happen all the time? Not from what I've seen. <laughs> and it doesn't, but it can happen. But at the same time, like, yeah, you can't carry somebody for forever. Like I did everything I could do for five and a half years and you and that other person still was basically telling me you're the problem and forget I'm not going to counseling I'm not even interested and I'm like I'm breaking I'm sorry I'm gonna die in this I can't anymore I can't so you just have to know like you have to be able to there's a difference between giving like giving up and letting go at at that at that point there was a difference and so I what gave me peace was I need to let this go because it's actually going to kill me. I, I did not give up. I fought for years, but it became more harm than good. And I just felt like God understood. And he just released me from that. And he was like, sister, you did as much as you could. And, and I'm not going to keep you in a, a situation that's going to get you essentially killed. So that really helped me mentally. Yeah. So how do you feel that the emphasis on marriage affects young women? Um, I think that it, okay, <laughs> I feel like it's a loaded question because going back to what we said before, I do not think that our young women and our youth are really prepared to even understand what a toxic relationship is and what a healthy one is. I don't feel like, okay, I got to speak for myself. I did not feel like I understood how to vet and assess what a golly man was and is like the behaviors of one what to look for what to what to um know what is a red flag and a green one like i had no idea i honestly thought that it was as simple as he goes to my church he's a christian we must have the same values and direction yay this is awesome and we get along like it was kind of really the extent of it so when when we have the lack of understanding how to um understand not only ourselves but how to pick a good partner then i feel like when we put the pressure on women to oh yeah if you're not like 21 and married and having a baby by now well that creates so much pressure like i a lot of my friends got not that there's anything wrong with getting married in your early 20s that's not what i'm saying but sometimes we don't all have the maturity we have our maturity grows at different rates i didn't have the maturity at 22 and i got married to really know what i was doing and i think sometimes that pressure to and the pressure of don't have premarital sex that was a big pressure too so if you have somebody who ends up okay having sex with their christian boyfriend they're like oh my gosh i'm a horrible person i must have to marry him then because this is this is the right thing to do okay well i i don't that shame around that and that pressure can sometimes push women to quickly get married before they really know who that person is and what they're getting into and i i would rather make some of those life mistakes and lessons of, you know, getting involved with someone prematurely than getting married to somebody who's going to treat me horribly and then having divorce in my story years later. Like that's just my personal, from having have lived it, I'd rather have had an oops than get married and live through all this trauma and now have to 
heal and it's affected every area of my life. So I, I just feel like sometimes that pressure can drive immature decision-making and lack of understanding education where women don't feel prepared and they might think they do, but they don't know fully what they're getting themselves into at times. I definitely agree. And a lot of times it's glamorized. You have to know yourself before you can go and do the hard work of finding someone that you're going to spend the rest of your life with. I think we see movies and we think, oh, happily ever after. You're two different people. You have two different upbringings. Even if you had the similar upbringings, like it's still not the same. There are different habits there. And a lot of people, I'm like, they, I just feel that they're just not, they're not at the space yet. And I do say that marriage, you know, makes you less selfish and this and that, but you still have to be ready because if you're not careful, if you don't know how to deal with your emotions or you find someone who is emotionally unhinged, you're going to have issues. There are like basic things and character traits that you should look for. And I've noticed that people are always, well, in the conversations that I have had, since Corona and before mm-hmm. Corona, pe- people are just more the fairy tale. Oh, he's handsome, and I'm like, yeah, that's not going to last long. He's <laughs> handsome when he's old, yes. but that doesn't, you know, nothing about the conflict resolution skills. You don't know if he hits people. You don't know if he yells. Exactly. You don't know if he's addicted to some sort of drug. I've heard oopsie stories with that. Like, so it's just we're not taught. We we see fairy tales, and we're not taught to vet properly because in fairy tales they don't have to vet these yes. these whole things that you have to do to find someone who is you know where you would uh, know whether or not they're compatible with you, and where both of you can grow. Again, even if someone goes to the same church you can still be unequally yoked with someone that goes to the same church with you. They may not have the same mindset. Like if you're like, oh, I want to do X, Y, and Z, and they're like, no, or they're not ambitious at all. You're going to be, that's, you're going to die slowly over the years. And I've seen it, people have told me, and I'm just like, that doesn't sound good. I no, I fully agree because I, um, how long have I my when I got married three months ago and finding getting remarried and finding my husband now has a totally different experience. Yes, I'm a different person. It was like ten years after my first marriage, but even like those things you you were saying, I I now know my strengths, my weaknesses, who I am in Christ. That's a big changer too. That because mm-hmm. that affects my self esteem and my boundaries. One of the biggest things um, to kind of. Uh, how do I say protect yourself from a toxic person is if you assert, if you're, if you're confident in your boundaries, because then you watch how they react. Are they flying off the handle being immature and crazy or are they respectful because they themselves are healthy and have their own boundaries. And I, when I, before I met my, my husband, now I knew who I was. I knew where I was going and I knew what I wanted. I was like, yeah, I'm into missions. Yeah. This is my thing. X, Y, Z. So when I started um, feeling confident dating again and doing those things, it was easy for me with, I, oof, within like a first interaction with a guy, I'm like, you know what? You're, you're a nice, great guy, but woof, we're not on the same life path at all. And it was, mm-hmm. it really helped me narrow down a lot. Like I was noticing I was having a lot of interactions with the guys in my city and I was like, there's not really any missionary minded people here. Not that there wasn't, but I really was having a hard time 
finding that and that was a big thing for me so I had to move my what's the word my um fishing rod I guess to a different thing I started interacting interacting with more missionaries like online missionary forum like-minded people attracting like-minded people and that is how that is how I met my husband um through through other missionaries and liking similar things. But it was just when I knew where I was going and what God had called me to do and how, and what he wanted me to do, it was really easy to start vetting the right people being like, you know what, you're actually a good guy, but we just, we wouldn't jive. Like I want to go live in Africa. I got my things to do there, but you want to stay in Canada. Nothing wrong with that, but we just won't, we just won't make the same choices. And then you're going to get mad at me when I, God's calling me to go do this. So it's just that maturity and that level of knowing it is, was more prevalent. And I had, had grown to that place versus like in my early twenties where I, where I really didn't know what I was doing at all. Yeah. You were mentioning that you knew, you know, kind of like what your, your God given purpose was. And that's what I was supposed to know, like all through life, not just when you get married, mm-hmm. a lot of, I, I feel that a lot of the younger women that I see feel that they have no purpose because they're not married and then that affects their identity and everything. The thing is that when you, when you discover what you're, wh- why you're here, like everyone has their own specific thing. God has yeah. a specific pur- unique purpose for everyone. So when you find that out and then you start walking in it, you start attracting people who are on the same like on the same track so there was a uh when I went to when I was in school in North Texas there was a pastor and I remember this analogy he gave and I think it was in reference either to walking with people in life or dating who knows it was years ago but he was saying that if you're on a track and you're running he's like and you're just keeping pace he's like if you see someone that is all the way ahead of you like halfway up the track he's like you shouldn't try and keep up with that person because that is not your pace. Mm. And then he was like, if you look behind you and you see someone who's like all the way back, you're going to have to go and drag them. Right. That also is not good. What you need to do is keep your pace. And when you turn to the right or to the left, the people who are keeping pace with you are the people who you should keep running with right? Because you already have that same pace. If you try to keep up with the person in front of you, you are going to fall out and they're going to have to drag you. If you have to slow down, you're going to be the one carrying the person or dragging the person behind you. And so I always thought that that was really interesting in life in, in general, and then also really in marriage. Because if you make that mistake, you're either going to be the one running and you're going to be the one that's being dragged or you're going to be dragging or trying to carry someone else. And that's not how we were created. That's not what we were created to do. Right. Yeah, no, I, I agree because it's, that, that'll just cause more conflict if one person's dragging. Like, not to say that we won't all grow and develop at different paces, but, but there's that general, like, there's a reason if you can run five kilometers, you've worked up that stamina, that focus, those things to be able to do that along with the people, other people who can do that versus the people who could run, like, let's say the 10K, like, well, They've probably been doing it a bit longer, have a little bit different, maybe skills and tricks figured out. You know, they're just at a little bit different pace. So I, I can see how that metaphor makes, makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah. And I mean, just in general, like if you are, you know, mindset, like you were saying, if someone has a mindset that is not, let's say you have a really, you don't see, so 
there's victim mindset and growth mindset. If mm-hmm. someone with a growth mindset marries someone with a victim mindset, that's friction already. Like I can, yeah. we don't even have to get friction. So you want to, you don't have to be the same, but you have to be going in the same direction. Yeah. Both of you have to know who you are for you to allow that to happen. I think a lot of times when people are mismatched in marriage, mind you, I'm not married, but just from what I've observed, it's because they're not, they have different expectations and neither of them I guess we're too scared to talk about it and then it's hashed out later it's better to hash that stuff out before because then you can at least know hey we're still on the same page you you don't have to want I mean again like I said uh, when you marry someone look there's going to be compromise so let's just be realistic but you need to be going in the same direction yep and and just being you know, I, I know there's a difference between dating in your 20s and your 30s. I feel like in my 30s, I'm like, listen, this is what I'm about. This is who I am. You either like it or not. We're moving on. Are we doing this or we're moving on? Like, you know, are we developing this because we're laying our cards bare and we know what those cards are? Or are we still trying to do the dance of, do you like me? I like you, but I don't know. Like those, like we just, there's no point in hiding things or putting on your best face for five months. It's, it's really why you don't want to play with your life and your time or somebody else's so there's you might as well just be honest and know who who you are and present that and then talk yeah talk about those things and hash them out is this going to work or are we just so different or can we or does compromising actually the amount of compromising we would have to do to make this work actually cause us more harm than good like to know those things before you say i do is is essential that's really true i just i i don't know i think that again it's important to know who you are important to know who you are in christ and then communication skills because that seems to be where the issues start i'll hear people say oh but she wasn't like this before like y'all weren't being y'all were not being uh, vulnerable and that because the the person didn't change so you know what i mean they say you find out things again this is from people who are married you find out things about people about your spouse that you're like what but you you know the 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 their core values and who they are doesn't change does that make sense yeah that's true and i think if you're both healthy people that have the same um, value of authenticity and just wanting to you know live out your god-given purpose and not waste time like me and my husband are both like that he's like you know i don't have time for silly willy-nilly games like like you know if this doesn't add benefit to my life or this doesn't value if this doesn't add value if this isn't god's plan for me then i don't understand is there what's the reason for me entertaining either this person or this idea this job this hobby like it's is it actually bringing more harm than good? It's kind of assessing those things in our lives that's actually making sense. Does it make sense for me? What is this bringing me? What is this doing for me? Is this serving myself? Does this allow me to serve others? Like, you know, some of those questions that I think sometimes we forget to, to ask ourselves and, and to take, um, to really assess sometimes the decisions we're making. I think sometimes we just get swept away with life, which I mean, obviously our culture can be crazy and we're busy but sometimes just taking that time to be like okay what what's going on for me right now what do i need to um keep pressing forward in and asking god for greater strength and patience or what is actually hindering me and i need to let it go taking that inventory yeah and then being responsible for your specific healing process because i've yeah. just met a lot of people that want to like hide and i'm like that that's not gonna turn out well it's true 
so how can women make better choices during the dating process? And I think you've touched on a few points. Do you have another? Um, I would say you just, okay, maybe two things I didn't quite mention yet is pray, 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 involve God in your decision making and in just tell him everything. I, I talk to God like he's, well, he is my father, but I've really come to a place where I'm like, God, like this, telling him my wants, telling him my desires. That is one thing that surprised, it, it just surprised me when I met and married my husband. And even not even just with my partner, other things and some of the things I've been able to do and the people that I've met is those prayers sometimes spoken and unspoken that I was like, God, like, this is a desire of my heart. After everything I've been through, after years of thinking God was always mad at me, he still valued the desires that I had. And he's given me a lot of them. And so I think it's just, you have to stay in communication with God and say like, I'm, you know, this is how I'm feeling. This is what I'm struggling with. This is what I want. This is what, where I want to go with my life. I, I need a partner who supports me in this, just being open and honest with him. Having um, maybe an older woman who's a godly woman who can be a mentor to bounce things off of. If you try and find at least one, one person that you, that you trust and who lives a life that you find admirable, who lives their life with integrity. You know, if you go on a first date with a guy and you're a little bit like, oh, I don't know, like I'm still new to this. Maybe you can bounce how it went off her or ask her for advice, those kind of things, that Christian accountability. Cause it's, like I said, somebody who can offer a different set of eyes on things or a different set of ears can sometimes be really, really helpful. And I think one more thing that I, if, if, if a young woman takes nothing away from today, this one thing that I really, I tell all my girls is please watch the fruit, watch his fruit. If what he says does not line up with what he does, there's a problem. And that is one thing that I really didn't understand. And I missed was, you know, guys, there's a lot of smooth talkers out there. Okay. But mm -hmm. when you watch over time, what does he do? what are those things that he does how does he treat the other women in his life how does he treat service staff what does how does he spend his money what you know what are the decisions that he makes that'll tell you i know it probably it sounds cliche but those actions will tell you a whole heck of a lot than those sweet whispers of things that he's told you before like if they line up okay that's a man with good character. So, and the Bible says, like, talks about looking for the fruit, our fruit, right? And for a reason. I think that's one of the biggest things that young women really have to really understand is, like, the fruit of the man you are with. What does that look like? Does it line up with what God says and godly character? Is it congruent with what he says? So, I think those are two really big things that I would stress. I think that's important. Food of the spirit. Yeah. It'll tell you if you exactly. wait long enough to see, it'll tell you what you need to know. Yeah. How did you find help during your healing process? Well, I'm the type of person that when something happens to me, or I don't understand it. I need to process. I will research and research until I feel like I understood. So I, in the beginning did things like, <clears throat> yeah. So I went for counseling for years, probably mm -hmm. Oh, four or five years after my divorce like I needed to process but I also like found websites online um that talked about like simple things like what is abuse what is domestic violence I wanted to understand so I tried to uh, I went to um a support group for women in my city 
that was really helpful. I sought out like, yep, both professionals, both friends and friends that either had experience or I knew would just even listen to me. So I had to, I sought out my own understanding. A journaling was a big thing for me because I was going through so many emotions and feelings and confusion. My mind and body was essentially detoxing. And so I was writing out what was going on. I'm confused about this. These are my questions. It really helped as an outlet for me. I, I made a vision board too, because I knew, okay, I don't like where I'm at. There's a reason that I'm struggling. I want to reinvent myself and my life. So I made a vision board and I said, what do I want for myself? What do I want for my life? That was almost like my goal setting. So I could look at the pictures and the words every day. I pinned it up in my room and I said, this is what I'm working towards. How am I going to get there? And I've gone through a few vision boards by now because when I feel like I've accomplished those things, I make a new one. And it's, it's a mindset thing for me. So I really, I understood the power of mindset. So I really had to seek out, like God talks about, you know, you will be renewed by the transformation of your mind again for a reason, right? So I did those things because I knew I couldn't get to where I wanted to be if I was going to have the same, like the victim mindset or the damage in my heart and my head. And um, I, I decided another big thing I decided to run towards God and not away from him because that's something that I see survivors or people when you go through something really hard there's that decision of am I going to run away from God and do all these coping bad those negative coping things like I'm going to get into hardcore drinking or drugs or sex or those kind of things running away from him or I'm going to just try my best to dive into him go like to try to go back to like to go to church and to offer a sacrifice of praise I'm like God you know I'm mad at you right now but I'm going to praise you anyway I'm going to pray anyway and some days I couldn't. I was like, you know what? No, I am too mad. But to make that decision of I'm going to try my hardest to run towards God in his word and pray. Because honestly, I know the other route. And I had some periods where I was like, forget this, you know, or I had some periods where they involved self-harm because I was so broken. But I knew, okay, this is not a long-term solution. Um, it was that decision to I have to embrace God and, and, and invite him into my healing because there really there is no way I can do this by myself there's absolutely no way yeah and I think it's good that you touched on the point that of of that um that fork in the road where you have to decide hey am I going to do all these kind of like self-numbing self-healing processes that won't get me to the end goal that I want to get to or am I going to really just get draw closer to Christ and be like hey this is where I am. Help me out. Because I believe yes. that I sometimes I'll hear people talk about things and I'm like, no one is going to be able to relate to this because this doesn't sound genuine. And I think that sometimes as Christians in the church, we like to make everything pretty. We're still human beings. Like at the end of the yeah. day, we're still human beings. And to act as if you don't have flaws or if you don't have times where you're like, I am not having it today is really a disservice to other people that are watching, especially younger Christians who are newer in the faith. And I think it is because God knows us anyway. So like, what are you going to do? This He's going to be like, I was surprised. Like, let's be real. He's not surprised. He knows exactly who we are. So it's best that we be very genuine. And remember when I was younger, I used to just hear people give these like picture perfect, like 
testimonies and stuff. And I was like, okay. Then as I was older, you know, like life, more life happens. I just, the, the people I related more to, even though I may not have had a similar experience, were the people who were like, you know, I prayed and then I was like real upset, you know, when XYZ didn't happen the way that I wanted it to. I think it's important to just show that you are still a human, regardless of, I mean, we're always supposed to turn to Christ and we're always supposed to make sure that we're looking at things through a biblical lens, but he knows that we are frail. He knows that we are human and that's why we need him to get to heal us and restore us. And I think that that is part of the, that's part of the human journey. You know, nothing's perfect. No, because I, (laughs) and I think sometimes that's the, there's that struggle in the church of, well, even when you're wanting to walk through healing, we're, we're maybe not always divulging the actual struggle. Yeah. Because, um, like, the, um, the relationship after my divorce, he ended up being another abusive guy. Mm-hmm. You, you know? And that's, a very, that's very common for women to go from one to another. And, and, you know, because I wasn't fully healed and I didn't fully understand a lot of things. And, and so I ended up in something else that caused me harm. And I remember even after, like, my sexual assault, I was, I was just like, you know what? Look at all these men that take advantage of me. I'm just – I remember telling my friend, I'm just going to go sleep with whatever guy I want. I'm just going to go drink. And she's like, and that's going to get you where? And that kind of snapped me out of my funk. But mm-hmm. I was – so like whatever this just is ridiculous and she's like well you could do that Allie but you're you're really just it's not going to help you and I was like oh yeah that's just a silly that's just a ridiculous thought but that level of brokenness is there like you said no matter if you're um you know going to church every Sunday and praying to God it's like we're still having moments of complete brokenness that we, we want to feel better we want the the yucky feelings to go away no matter like no matter where you are at yeah, and that's why it's good to have, again, trusted people who provide safe spaces for you and, you know, Christian accountability so that they can be like, well, mm-hmm. is that the best idea? Because, again, a lot of times we just start thinking in our heads and we do not process it through. So a yeah. third party can be like, no, that's that's not going to make you feel better. How about you not exactly. do that? Like your friend yeah. did. Because, yeah. and the thing is like, a lot of people will like just struggle in silence and then just keep repeating patterns, but you have to find people who you can trust and be held accountable to. And until you're willing to do that, you are more likely to repeat and repeat those harmful, unhealthy patterns. No, it's yeah, that's very true. And just to take and to know that you need to take your healing into your how do I say this? You're responsible for your own healing. Doesn't mean people can't help you. Doesn't mean you don't invite God into it. But sometimes the phrase time heals all wounds, I have an issue with it because it's like, yes, it takes time, but you also have to be intentional with that time. You know? That's true. You can't just be like, I'm going to sob and feel bad for eight years and then I'll finally feel better. It's like, yeah, some days getting out of bed was not even a thing. I'm like, it wasn't even a thing. And then some days I'm like, Nope, today, getting my butt to counseling, at least I'm going to do, like, you know, making those intentional choices and decisions one step at a time, the best way you can, and it won't be perfect, but you have to take responsible responsibility for it. That's true. 
even though it's even though it's a difficult process the people oh, yeah. who have gone through it they, i mean they're still going through stuff now it is a hard process nothing i don't think anything worthwhile in life you know growth anything like that is really easy no i mean if you think about the things that you've gone through in general you know going to school for social work was that easy no <laughs> you had to be intentional with studying and things like that yeah. so i think that again we we have to be careful with the fairy tale syndrome and things don't happen like they happen on tv i don't think you know even when you say that i'm like what does happen like tv uh, probably nothing you know and it's such a i feel like it's such like a facade and a lie it's like oh why why aren't we actually fed more truth than 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 lies sometimes in our own culture or social media that's also um an issue in itself but i it I think it's also having self-compassion and grace for yourself too. Cause I still have days where I'm like, Oh, I need to write that, that chapter for that book that someone asked me or this, 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 um, I don't know, blog post someone asked me to write. And there are days where I'm like, you know what, today, maybe I was triggered by something and my anxiety is so high. I'm like, I'm going to give myself permission not to do too much today. Just because it, you know, it's, it's, sometimes that's just what you have to do. But then knowing, okay, I'm going to work on it tomorrow, even if it's just 10 minutes. So it's that, that dance of I've had to learn because I have a very like, perf- naturally perfectionist personality, mm-hmm. uh, an achievement-orientated personality. <laughs> so I have to be careful of today might not be the best day to do this, but I'm going to make a goal tomorrow to at least tackle it in some capacity. Yeah, it's important to set, be able to set boundaries with others and then also with yourself. And I think, especially for high achievers and people pleasers, big mm-hmm. issue. So, yeah, it's <laughs> the true. same way you set those boundaries for others, you have to set boundaries for yourself or you'll be just burned out and you, p- people are not, are not um, you cannot serve others. You cannot take care of yourself when you are burned out. And you mentioned... You mentioned social media. Truth mm-hmm. doesn't sell. Truth doesn't sell, mm. so it's never going to be on there. That's a whole other discussion that we cannot have now. But truth doesn't sell. Yeah. It really doesn't. Which is unfortunate because I know when I was looking, when I told you I was doing the research and trying to find, I was actually trying to find like influential people that would tell the truth about healing from domestic violence or healing from rape. And I was trying to find specifically Christian people. I was like searching and you know what there are some, there are some like I don't know if there's some like big names really honestly but like I, I found it hard to find some of those people where I'm like can someone just be really real right now on social media who's a believer that could really tell me what to how to do this and to really yeah. tell me their and that's part of the reason like I started my Instagram or me and my friend recently started a Facebook group for women who are Christian survivors because I'm like I search Facebook I, I think there was either none, no group for Christian survivors of domestic violence, or there was one that was kind of inactive. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is such a need. Like, I just remember feeling like, why isn't this more of a thing? You know? Well, you mentioned earlier the whole thing about shame. And so, again, as we know, on putting on appearances, it's a complex issue. Because mm-hmm. I'm there's more, there, I'm sure there are more than then tell their story and also some people they may not be ready i always tell people like you need to make sure you are now 
I, I don't mean 100% healed, but you need to be healed enough that if someone says something crazy to you, it's not going to trigger you. Because sometimes people share before they're um, ready. And I'm like, mm-mm. Heal to a point where you're able to talk about it yeah, and look at it in the rear view mirror without being emotionally manipulated or influenced, if that makes sense. No, I 100% agree. Where you're not, if you tell your story or you're answering questions or somebody comes up with, oh, was it really abuse? Maybe it was your fault. Like some of those, those things that could trigger you without emotionally breaking down. Like if you're going to be sobbing on the floor and can't move for five days, it's like, okay, honey, I, maybe we just need to take a break and there's some more work to do. Like I, I got the same advice, especially with some of the work that I've done and venturing out. Like, cause I used to last year, I worked with the police in our city on our high crimes, domestic violence unit. And people are like, mm-hmm. are you sure you're ready for that? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I am. And it, for the most part, it went really well. I had moments, though, where I met an abuser and I was like, you, you remind me of my ex-husband. And I had to spend some time de-escalating from that. But then, then again, I know my triggers. I know how I respond. I know what I need because of all the years of figuring that out, right? But it's, yeah, it's definitely true. Like there has to be some level of, again, knowing yourself where you're at and healing and not falling apart because then, then how can you continue to serve the people you want to serve or do the provide service to people when you don't want it to switch where, where the person you're trying to serve starts to uh, worry about you and be like, are you okay? Well, with women that happens and that's why I'm always like, just yeah. make sure that you are all, that you're okay. Yes. Because, and again, that's a boundary. That is an emotional boundary that protects your emotional, your mental health. And that emotional and mental health affects all the other areas. So it's really important. I'm just like, if it's going to trigger you and you're just going to like not want to leave the house for weeks, yeah. it's not time. It, it cannot have, you have to develop those coping skills. Again, also be able to know, hey, these are my triggers. These are things that if someone says it, I am not ready. And then just know that. And then you just develop those tools as you go to process it so that it no longer has that power over over you anymore. So that is also, who knows, maybe those other women, they were not there yet. Yeah, such a journey, such a journey. But it has opened the door for you to do that. So you know what, maybe that was for such a time as this, as they say. Yeah. (laughs) Really? I mean, I don't believe that things happen just coincidentally. So, you know, maybe that was where you were supposed to step up and do something. Since you you went through the process of healing, you had the accountability, you went to the counseling, you processed, you journaled. I mean, you want to show people a healthy healing process because there's all sorts of healing processes that aren't healthy. No, definitely. And just knowing that everyone's healing process will look a bit different. Like I tackled yeah. my, my um, mind and spirit before, before I got my body healthy. Whereas I had a friend who is a survivor. She, she started running. She really got into exercise because that's how she, that was her fo- first um, effective coping. Like that was her first go-to. Mm-hmm. When I just, I, I feel better when I have my, my body kind of going into a more balanced place where I was, I'm more of like an emotional, spiritual person, I guess, if you want to say, and I'm like, I need my mind to be, have more peace. And I need my spirit to have more peace before I even think about 
how I want to get my body back in peace because trauma affects everything. Like my body still to this day, well, sometimes I'll catch myself. Oh, what's, what's the word? Like I'll catch myself holding my muscles ten, intense and then I'll get like tension headaches mm-hmm. because my body's used to gearing up for war all the time. So I'm like, okay, relax, relax. Why are we in tension mode? Oh, cause we're used to it. You know, and it's, it's taken time to just release all those things and still have to work on it every day in some capacity of, like mental health and some of those things it, it doesn't just go away in a year it, it takes time yeah and like you said it's a process so what steps did you take to heal your mind and spirit um well like i mentioned before like just making the decision to run to god and not away from him again committing to count committing to counseling talking really helped me because my mind is trying to process and heal. So for me, like I just, I'm one of those people, I need to ask questions and I need to process. Mm-hmm. So that's why talk therapy was big for me. I tried like EMDR, like that wasn't, that didn't work for me, but just talking to somebody who could do the tough love or, or just to listen or to guide, that was helpful. I needed for my mind, I needed to understand some of the struggles I was having with my mental health. So the anxiety and the PTSD symptoms. I needed to understand how I kind of got to that place where those were a reality in my daily life. Understand what is anxiety? What is PTSD? What is like depression? And how, what do I, what am I going to, what are the decisions I'm going to make to deal with it or to mm-hmm. start recovering from it? So I, like after my assault, I, I did go off work and they put me, the doctors right away put me on an antidepressant and some sleeping meds and other things. And I knew after a month or two, I was like, this is not for me. I'm, I'm not saying for some people, they don't need prescription medication because I think there's a place and purpose for that. Mm-hmm. But for me, I just knew this is, I feel like a horrible zombie. I can't do this. And so I just, I've learned to manage my anxiety and PTSD by doing things like learning some of those coping skills from going to counseling, more natural methods. I can tell when my body's out of whack. I can tell how to ground myself. I've, I've had to teach myself how to understand my mental health and how to manage it properly. I read a lot of books, like self-help books, um, some of those resources to really, again, to understand and how to change some of those behaviors, like my people-pleasing and my lack of boundaries. I did some of those things. What else? And renewing my mind, that's another thing too. Like I realized, okay, I don't have the healthiest thought patterns. I don't mm-hmm. have the healthiest bound. I, I just realized these are, these are some of the things that attracted toxic people into my life. Therefore, if I want to be a healthier person, I need to change them. So I, I, I had to train myself to, to recognize, okay, so what is a healthy woman, godly healthy woman? How does a healthy woman, what do they do? What did, how do they think? What did they say? What do they not do? Um, kind of, I had to develop what I call like a queen mindset. I had mm-hmm. to really be like, okay, like, yeah, who does God say I am? What, what does he, what does he, who does he want me to be? And I really, um, there's a few key people that I watch like some of their YouTube things where I'm like, oh my gosh. And that's how you, you know, if you have a queen mindset, well, then you attract somebody with a king mindset, you know? And just, again, communicating with God just to renew my spirit and be like, I'm so hurt and I'm mad at you and I'm disappointed. We need to work on our relationship. So I really had to spend years just asking him the hard questions. And then, like I said, just praying and, 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 and uh, rebuilding my relationship with him because I was mad at him for a long time. I felt like he let me down. I had to repair that. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's, that's, 
I mean, when we when I look at it, a lot of times we face disappointment and we think that God has done something to us when he was probably trying to either protect us or keep us from something that wasn't the be- his best. Right. As I think a lot of times we settle for good when there is better and best. And so he won't force us to make certain decisions. You know, he allows us to do whatever um, we decide. I mean, but there are consequences. But when, when we really understand that he's a loving father, he created us for a reason, he wants to keep us safe, then we can be like, okay, so if this whatever thing doesn't work out the way I have planned it to, maybe there's something better. Mm-hmm. And so I think, cause a lot of like, I don't know, I just come across a lot of, a lot of younger women and they're just like really upset and bitter because they haven't found someone. And I'm like, well, maybe what you're supposed to grow. You're telling me about opportunities that you've stepped into that you wouldn't have been able to step into. So I think that really putting things into perspective and realizing that, hey, maybe, you know, maybe there still needs to be some things that you need to work on, or maybe he's working on whoever you're supposed to marry. I don't know. You know, so I think that really, you know, realizing that his intent towards this is always good, regardless of how we want to control things. So... (laughs) But yeah, and I think that correlates to like believing that God is a good father. Like if you have that stance and that belief, you know that because even looking back, like between me and my husband now, I can see like if I would have met my husband right now, like four or five years ago, we, he probably wouldn't have taken a second look at me because I would have been, (laughs) like I wouldn't have been like, like strong in who I am and my relationship with God in the like queen mindset. He probably would have thought, oh, she's not ready for, she's not ready for who I am. She's not ready for where God's taking me. Like, you know, a godly man is going to want to help a helpmate, right? Like not someone he has to counsel back to. I'm not saying they're not there to support and love and and help you with things, but like, I don't want to be with a guy that I have to like counsel to get to, 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 um, missionary date or something. Oh my gosh. That's a waste of everyone's time. At the end of the day, you have to be on this. You have to be going in the same direction. You have to be on the same page. Now there will be variations, but the core value or the core values or core beliefs need to be on the same page yeah oh yeah because like you said you don't know god knows whom his best and i sometimes hesitate to say whom his best as if thinking like god only has one option for you that is a whole oh, no, i don't thing. mean one yes <laughs> you know what i mean like something a yeah. lot of people will be like that you have to find that one i'm like the pressure no. the, the pressure to find that one i'm like no god i think god's like okay you know i have some good godly best options for you at the end of the day we make our own choices right but the the sense of like my my last boyfriend before my husband now i thought he was the ultimate one of i was like oh my gosh the one and mm-hmm. that fell apart and i found out he was the biggest con artist of the world i was like okay god wow we're done like you know and that was my initial reaction. But then now I'm like, thank you, God, for closing that door. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because I see how that was not a godly man. I see how he was doing more harm than good for me. And I'm like, thank you, God. Oh my gosh. My husband now is like, thank you. Like, just thank you. And so when you realize, like I said, God is a good father with our best intentions. It doesn't mean we're not going to throw a mini tantrum maybe at first and be like, why, why, why? But then when you get your, your, you know, emotions at bay and you're like, 
but God has his best for me. And that was a closed door for a reason. Okay. So let me get my butt back on the, on the horse and keep working towards bettering myself, pre- preparing for my future husband. Because sometimes I think we don't preach that. It's like, well, you, you need to be prepared too. Not just, yes. I'm going to, I'm going to go and, and assess everybody. I'm like, well, honey, are you prepared for him though? Marriage ain't no joke. So are you prepared to be a wife? And what is that? What is a godly wife? And are you prepared to be one? Cause if not, maybe just take some time to like figure out what that means for you and how your life is going to change and how you're going to serve and love that other person. Because yeah, it's not all, he's a cute face and I'm just going to be in love every day, 24 seven. That's not realistic. Some of the younger women that I've talked with, I always tell them, go and find an older couple in your church. Mm -hmm. Older couple has been through all sorts of stuff. And of course you would know because that's your church family. You, You know, if you were in small groups or whatever, you find out about people. Do that, be in community, find an older couple and have them mentor you. They can point stuff out. Yeah. And a lot of times people don't take that advice and they'll take the advice of their, I guess the people that are their age who are newly married. And I was like, that's nothing. Uh, You need to find some people that have been through the fire, through all sorts of stuff, are still together, still have their faith. Yes. And are still moving on. Because again, we just get caught up in this glamour. Find people who have been through it. They will tell you, because they don't play. They've been through it right? They're not going to, you know, lie to you like your friends. They're going to be like, well, this was, you know, whatever. And of course, I always say hang out with both of them. But if you're really going to be getting discipled, disciple get discipled by the woman. But, you know, I I think it's important to see those challenges and struggles. So you don't think, oh, I get to do whatever I want. Like you were saying, a lot of people do not prepare themselves. It's like taking a test. If you don't study, you're going to fail. Now, this does not mean that your marriage will fail. That is not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. It just means that you may have to be more intentional and have more hard work to do up front. But either way, it'll pay off. It's just when do you want to invest it? Do you want to find and properly vet the person with good character so you're not fighting all up through, you know, the first few years? Mm-hmm. How you, you have to imagine how do you want that done? Kind of like you talked about. You knew what you wanted. You found someone who, you know, had the same similar mindset, knew what they were doing or knew where they wanted to go. Especially, I think it's important. And I think that, again, that people don't look at that. And, you know, that cute smile will only be cute for so long when you have to be with them in a closed in space. Yeah. Well, and then good just, and bad. <laughs> well, exactly. Right. And then when you prepare yourself for those things, like knowing who you are and where you're going, what you want and knowing how to vet a godly man it's like you know the questions to ask then on mm-hmm. a first date i'm not saying you have like an interview like so hi my name is ali so what do you <laughs> and spewing all these questions but then it's like you know some of the most important questions that you want answered within you know a decent time frame you know those things that you want to communicate to them you know what really matters and therefore your your reflect uh your attitude and your your behaviors will reflect because you you are being smart about it and if we think about it we start going to school at what like five years old we go all the way up to grade 12 and then some of us go to post-secondary to quote-unquote prepare for life so why would we not prepare for like i said before one of the biggest decisions we'll ever make we just can't go willy-nilly into it and it won't be perfect and, and it won't be, you know, you won't have the best like vetting system in the world, but if you can go in 
feeling knowledgeable and like you know who you are and where you're going and and a lot of these things that we talked about today then you will at least have some tools in your tool belt and not just be totally clueless and and risking making a really bad decision or wasting a lot of time yeah characters core value and you have to take the emotion out of it yeah that's really hard but yeah (laughs) yeah it's that being intentional because if you get if you just swept off your feet anytime someone smiles at you you're going to be having issues like because you can't determine character from that you know what I mean so it can be challenging but I just feel that if the work is done up front that proper vetting that everything else can be worked out well yeah that's why I think if you can you um like yeah keep some of those like really emo- like having those boundaries to keep some of those emotions at bay as best you can because you want you want to get at that, those core things right i want to yeah. understand before i give my myself emotionally to you fully physically to you i got to understand that i'm entrusting these sacred parts of me to somebody who's going to hold and value it um in a godly way because if i just start throwing and if i don't have good boundaries and i start like throwing like having sex with you and sharing my deepest darkest secrets and giving you my heart and i found out down the road you were not even worth that because you aren't ready for it and you're immature or you're abusive oh my gosh the 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 healing that's going to come from some of the damage is going to take time and effort yeah right yeah so guarding our hearts guarding our hearts what are some ways that women can move forward knowing that it's okay to take the time to grieve and to feel and to process because you are grieving like for me i was grieving the loss of a whole life that i had of dreams i lost a husband i lost my puppy i lost my home i lost money a lot a lot of loss so you're grieving almost like a death a death to your past life Mm -hmm. And, and it's okay to do that and give yourself time and space to do that if if but but don't isolate and lock yourself in for your basement for days like for weeks or months because eventually you're going to need to do those things like we talked about to reach out if counseling is something you want to do to start stepping out and doing those things to start talking to people to start setting goals for yourself so i think another thing to in moving forward that women can do is you know you have to give your time because healing is a bit of a roller coaster and it's up down backwards forwards but eventually you have to make decisions so that's okay what am I going to do next for you know if you had to take time off work am I going to go back to work am I going to change my job what who do I want to be where do I want my life to go and it's one decision at a time it's one effort at a time and knowing I don't want to overwhelm myself but like I said for me I made my vision board I said these are my goals I don't know exactly how long it's going to take me but I know I don't want to be a victim forever so I would say women can move forward by making intentional decisions, by giving yourself grace and time to really process. And if you get triggered, well, you will, you know, I'm pretty much guarantee you will be, or you're struggling with your mental health. It doesn't mean that you're not moving forward. Like there's growing pains for a reason. Sometimes it's going to feel worse before it gets better. That's why sometimes a lot of women go back because they're like, I miss him or I'm not over him. I can't survive without him supplying me money, these things. It's like, you know, if you need to, to go see a social worker or you need to see a counselor to help you make goals and, and come up with tasks, how are you going to get there? Do that because I don't know how many women I've seen where it's like I had to go back because I couldn't parent myself or I couldn't make my own money. It's like, hey, well, we need to make 
we need to make plans. We need to have a vision for our future, like the Bible talks about. And it's not as simple as like me just spouting off these suggestions. I know there's a lot of emotion tied to it. There's a lot of pain and disappointment tied to these things. But it's like if you have to drag yourself through the day sometimes and you just made one decision to go see your counselor that day, you are still making steps um, forward. So I just, so just try not to stay in the victim mindset or try not to let yourself get overcome with if you're struggling with mental health or your emotions. It's, it's a fight. It's a battle. You are battling many things at once. It's probably one of the hardest things to recover from. Like, I mean, I can't, I can only say so much. I've never had a problem with addiction or those kind of things, but I'll tell you from experience, it's, it's heart wrenching. And then on top of that, if you go through divorce too, that's another heart wrenching thing. But women, you know, I just want to encourage, you know, if there are women listening to this who are survivors, it is a hundred percent possible to go from survivor victim to like thriver. And I know we, sometimes we hear that some of these cliche things, but it's definitely true. And we serve a God who, who desires nothing more to hold your hand and walk you through the process of whatever that looks like for you. That is definitely true. So can you tell us where people can find out more about you? Uh, yeah. So I am probably most active on like my Instagram page. So my handle is a queen healing. I try and like post things about um, like recovery and the nitty gritty of things and walking with God through this, but also other life things. I'm really big. I think I mentioned before health nut. So, so that's, that's another place you can reach me. If you're interested in our in, um, survivors, women's support group online, we offer resources, just daily support and encouragement, sharing those kind of things. I, I also, so my Facebook name is Ali Schwab Akonwi, and I have a link on there that you can find me. Yeah, it's a private group because I know, I understand like the shame and stigma and sometimes people are scared to join some of these things, but it's a private group. So it's only for survivors. We try our best, our best to the questions we ask to vet people and to keep everyone safe. But, or if you want to look us up, sometimes people just want to research it on the Google search, or sorry, the Facebook search. It's called um, Christian Women Christian Women Support Group, and we should pop up there. We have kind of like our thumbnail has blue and gray graphic on it. You can ask to join. You can find our discussions there too. So I'd say right now, connect with me on Facebook on my name, my Instagram handle, or if you want to join our, if you're a survivor, our Facebook group, that is an option as well. So yeah, I'm open to people direct messaging too. I get that as well. So questions, I'm open to those. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much, Ali. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of the Wealthier Together podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and share this podcast with a friend.